So right now, the workforce crisis is one of our biggest challenges. And if we overcome it, truly the sky's, sky's the limit for manufacturing in America. And I think that your podcast in 2025 will be looking back at this moment as the catalyst for the transformational change in manufacturing that we all know is just right there in front of us. Hello, everyone. I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for tuning in to The Optimistic Outlook. On the last episode, we learned about a new way of making things in additive manufacturing, also known as 3D printing. Since the dawn of the first industrial revolution, for centuries, we've seen the tools we use become more sophisticated to improve productivity. But the process itself for manufacturing hasn't actually changed all that much. What we're talking about now with additive technologies, with advanced automation, with industrial 5G, data and software, is a new way of running a factory floor that enables us to rethink just about everything to challenge designs that we've been in place for decades, to vastly reduce waste and improve sustainability, and to vastly increase speed to market as we transition from mass production to mass customization. Okay, so here's the challenge we need to work together to solve. We have the technology, but do we have the people? Do we have the workforce? Here's a statistic that may shock you a bit. Open manufacturing jobs today are near an all-time high at 814,000 open positions. In fact, if you listen to the last episode, you'll hear I referenced there being more than 700,000 open positions. The number is actually growing this quickly. So my guest today will help us understand how this happened and why manufacturers are struggling today to attract talent. And we're, of course, going to apply our optimistic outlook toward figuring out how we can turn this challenge into an opportunity. Carolyn Lee is the executive director of the Manufacturing Institute, which is the National Association of Manufacturers nonprofit workforce development and education partner. You may recall I had the leader of the NAM, Jay Timmons, on an earlier episode, and I'm proud to serve on the NAM board of directors. Take a listen. Carolyn Lee, welcome to the podcast. It's great to talk to you again. It's nice to see you, Barb. Thanks for having me. I shared in my intro that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics recently reported 814,000 open manufacturing positions. So let's start there. I want to help listeners understand the trends behind the numbers and understand that the Manufacturing Institute and Deloitte just released an insightful report examining the talent shortage. Is it true that U.S. manufacturers are really finding it harder than ever to find the right talent? Tell us what else the re recent report revealed. Thank you. And you're right. It, the, the most recent numbers were 814,000 open jobs in the industry. And it's absolutely true that manufacturers are having difficulty finding people to fill these positions. And having 814,000 open positions is significant when you consider the fact that unemployment today is actually hovering close to 6%. So in the National Association of Manufacturers' most recent Outlook survey, more than three quarters of manufacturers cited that attracting and retaining a quality workforce was one of their biggest challenges. So now the good news, we know that the economy is well on its way towards a full recovery, but we still have a big hurdle ahead of us. And unfortunately, this isn't a new challenge. We had about a half a million jobs open 
monthly before the pandemic. So we had a workforce crisis even then. So this is our fifth skills gap study with Deloitte. And what we found was 2.1 million manufacturing jobs could go unfilled if we don't improve our recruitment and retention strategies. But again, I'm optimistic about this and the whole industry is because manufacturers are posting these jobs because they're looking towards the future, they're growing their businesses, and they're preparing for growth. And the Q2 Outlook survey shows that manufacturers anticipate record high levels of growth and employment, and they expect wages to grow at the highest rate since the start of the millennium. So businesses in our industry are clearly bullish, and this economy um, is also tremendous, and we're, we're really excited about our own prospects. And we're, we're doing what we can to make these open positions as attractive as possible. And so hopefully that bodes well for the ongoing efforts to close the skills gap. Well, one of the things I hear you saying is that you're focused on both hiring and retention. I've been hearing a lot about retirements. Tell me about the dynamics in manufacturing and retirement. Sure. Actually, you know, um, going into the pandemic, the data point was about one baby boomer retired about every eight seconds. And so right now, retirements, yeah, a lot of people are retiring. That is the biggest um, draw out of out of the system. And what we have to do is as people are retiring, we need to refill the, the funnel on the other end. And we also have to remember that, uh, and this is a good news story, that actually the automation and the technology and the equipment that we use today in the sector are helping people stay longer. So we have a little bit of time here, but the retirements are definitely pressure. And so we all need together as an industry to do what we can to retain those workers at the end of their careers, gather with their knowledges and before they, they move on, but then also attract new people in to fill those positions behind them. Yeah, we've been really focused on multi-generational teams so that we can make sure that the veterans are really helping the new entrants learn the tricks of the trade. But we've also got these new tools at work. I'll share that on our last episode, I spoke with Brian Neff, the CEO of Centavia, an additive manufacturing firm. And he noted that one of the first things he asked potential new hires is if they like video games. They're using 3D printing and software. It's a completely different form of manufacturing. And so it strikes me that we have a bit of a chicken and egg solution. If you don't have the workers, you can't deploy new technology, but it's also hard to attract the workers if you don't already have the latest technology deployed. How important is it for manufacturers to be able to spotlight new technology to attract talent? Oh, it's hugely critical. I mean, this is so important and it's so such a right now problem. We have a perception problem in manufacturing. Only 29% of parents have a positive view of manufacturing careers. And that's in large part because they picture what manufacturing looked like 50, 60 years ago. So we have to change the perceptions. And for students, we have to think about meeting them where they are, all that technology, the video games. As a parent, I'm glad to hear playing video games is useful uh, in, in your future job prospects uh, for my children. But but, you know, it's really critical that 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 incoming workers see that they can come to manufacturing and engage in those new technologies that they are excited about and that they want to be part of. And that it's not that you have to go to some other sector that's right here. So we need to change those perceptions. And that's a big part of what we're doing at the Manufacturing Institute and at the NAM, where we launched our nationwide uh, Creators Wanted campaign, where we're going state by state, showing young people and displaced workers, and importantly, the parents of young people, what modern manufacturing really looks like. Coding, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality. That's what we need more people to see and to associate with manufacturing. 
Yeah, we're also hearing that workers want more flexibility. Are you hearing about different production schedules or ways of managing the shop floor that could make flexible work, even remote work possible in manufacturing? Absolutely. And that was a topic that came up in the talent study with Deloitte. You know, look, the pandemic really accelerated all of our transition to remote work and hybrid work, um, I think, as an entire economy. And what the pandemic proved was just how nimble manufacturers can be. With When the spread of COVID-19 started and was at the peak last year, many manufacturers were de- designated as essential workers and remained open. Of course, we were making all of the parts that go into the PPE and, of course, the biopharma, uh, the vaccine, the therapeutics that that allowed us to reopen, but all the consumer products we need every day. And so this was an enormous responsibility. We had a huge, huge demand in the economy that manufacturers needed to rise to the occasion and fill. But at the same time, they had to be safe. And so bringing employees in during these uncertain times was meant that they needed to put new precautions in place to keep their employees safe and minimize their exposure to the spread of the virus. So we saw some manufacturers completely redesign or remodel their shop floors. Some brought on new new board safety measures, barriers, social distancing tools. It also meant, of course, manufacturers were adhering to local, state, and federal COVID regulations and health guidelines. So as everyone in the industry knows, these regulations were constantly moving. I mean, last spring was just such a such a challenging time. And manufacturers had to be prepared to both operate and turn on a dime as we learned more and the science became more clear. And so manufacturers were using flex scheduling and many instituted additional shifts to make it easier for employees to practice social distancing. Many companies went from everybody changing and being in the same place at the same time while one shift was leaving and another came in. They would spread that time out so you had fewer people exposed to one another. And so at the same time, manufacturers were we're working to prepare for remote work, just like many others in, in industries and all across the sector. Teams didn't necessarily need to work on shop floors. Engineering and design, for example, who were able to be remote, were able to use virtual tools to collaborate. And that's what all of the latest cloud-based uh, information sharing technologies allowed. So before, we hadn't really thought of that in many cases. It was everybody get in the room, figure it out, you know, go to the plant floor and, and work on it together. But we observed a huge pickup in the adoption of advanced manufacturing technologies and all these remote technologies. Manufacturers who leaned into the Internet of Things, M4.0 technologies, were better equipped to monitor and troubleshoot their products and their product lines without needing to physically inspect them. And that was a huge advantage. And some manufacturers even leaned into drones and automation, allowing operators to accomplish tasks in factories and plants without necessarily being uh, inside, being live there. And polling by our, our partner, the Manufacturing Leadership Council, which is another part of the National Association of Manufacturers, showed that up to that 85% of manufacturers expect that their use of digital collaboration tools and technology adopted during COVID will be permanent. So I think the workforce, especially the young people and parents who are still balancing care, will be able to prioritize flexibility in this new world that we live in. You know, that's so exciting because we know that office workers have really embraced the idea of of remote and and having more flexible schedules. It's so cool to think that the same thing is coming to the manufacturing floor. And, And one other side effect I'll share with you, because we practice many of these uh, for ourselves in Siemens, 
And one of the things we discovered was that our safety record improved as well. You know, having fewer distractions on the manufacturing floor helped all of us. Uh, but, but changing subjects, let's explore how we can bring in groups that have been underrepresented in manufacturing. Carolyn, I remember in a conversation we had a couple of years ago now that you told me if we could close the gender gap in manufacturing by only 10%, it would close the overall talent shortage by 50%. Now, that was back when there were only a half million uh, open jobs in manufacturing. But clearly this is a moment when we need to leverage diversity, equity, and inclusion as a business imperative. Are we making progress? We are. And, you know, I think this past year, uh, we've all battled so many different crises on so many levels and, and we've been forced to evolve so quickly on some of the technology and, and to respond and learn how to do things differently. But really, over the last several years, manufacturers have had this growing commitment to DNI to making sure that we were reaching all communities, um, serving all of our customers in all communities, but also reaching out to underrepresented communities and others to make sure that our workforces represented the communities we operate in. And so, you know, this past year has really motivated many manufacturers to step up and even provide more leadership in this space. And I know Siemens is certainly a leader on this. And so thank you for that. Uh, we need those leaders. We need those, those, those people out the front, those companies out in front so others can learn. And that's why the MI has been so focused on DNI strategies because now, as you said, it's the right thing to do, but it's also so good for business. Research has shown that diverse workplaces are more productive workplaces. It makes sense that people have different viewpoints, different experiences, they're going to have different ideas. And manufacturing is about bringing those ideas, that innovation to life. And when we have so many jobs to fill, we have to make sure that every community knows the door is open and there's a place in manufacturing for them. So now, as we've seen many manufacturers take this action to their workplaces and, and to, to take deliberate steps to make sure that they are being more inclusive, they're doing things like setting specific goals, hosting unconscious bias training, holding courageous conversations, instituting diversity officers, creating board level goals, and acknowledging visible and invisible diversity. And this focus on belonging, because that's all really not only a benefit to recruitment, but also for retention, so that your employees, whatever their background, can bring their whole selves to work. And so we need to do everything we can to help make sure that people who are talented and driven find their way into the industry and having those role models and that openness to people with all sorts of backgrounds. And this background, it's not just race, although it is part of it. It's not just gender, although that's part of it. Orientation, experience, age, abilities, people with, with varying cognitive abilities or physical, differing physical abilities, all of that, bringing all those folks into the workplace is really critical. And another thing I want to emphasize is um, a new project that we're working on here at the Institute, which is around second chance hiring, which is about creating opportunities for people with criminal records. So this stat blew me away, just like that, that you know, 10% closing the skills gap by 50%, Barb. One in three Americans have a criminal record. And so this talent pool that's been largely untapped 
there's a significant portion who are motivated, engaged, and productive potential employees that we could attract into manufacturing who are looking for and would welcome a rewarding opportunity for a fresh start. So these are all kinds of the populations we need to tap into. And we need to really work together as a sector to build pipelines for, for people to find their way into manufacturing. And so now some of these people are going to have been disrupted. Their previous careers would have been disrupted by the pandemic. We need to bring those in. We also need to bring in those for entry and level and mid-level positions that are so critical to keeping our operations moving. And that's why things like on-the-job training, apprenticeship programs, things we've many things we've talked about before are all essential to solving this challenge because we need to show people that they can make a career in making things here in the U.S. Well, I know for Siemens, we've been really proud to support your STEP Women's Initiative and to see our manufacturing employees highlighted. Uh, we've also signed the NAM's Pledge for Action as part of our commitment to racial justice. Uh, we're being more intentional about looking for talent in more places than we have historically, and then developing that talent for future leadership roles. It reminds me that in recent years, we used to hear the term skills gap more often. Now I think we're seeing that it's really a representation gap, a training gap, an opportunity gap. And I also don't think it's just manufacturers that need to do more to address the challenge. I think we still need all the right players coming to the table across business, government, education, and philanthropy to drive forward a stronger national workforce agenda. How do you see it? And what do you think really needs to change? I could not agree more. And, and first, let me thank you for everything that you and Siemens have done to create more opportunities for women and people of color in the industry. The deliberate focus on these efforts is so essential to making sure we're moving the needle. And so, and, and we're completely in agreement about the need for an all of the above solution to the skills gap, the opportunity gap, the perception gap. You know, all of these are critical to us addressing the workforce challenges. So now we have to think about the entire universe here. There is no one switch to be thrown to have this all go into place. It is really that we need to, to all work together, all facets of the economy, all those different education institutions, starting with K through 12. You know, traditional education is crucial and an essential start for this conversation. We need to be working with elementary school kids to talk to them about the opportunities, but also the industry needs to step up and all the institutions that you named need to partner and think outside the box, share solutions, share best practices, create new solutions we haven't even thought of yet, bring all that innovation to life to address the biggest challenge that we have. We need incentives and encouragement for business to provide the on-the-job training. We need to make it so that it's affordable to do, that the barriers are low to entry, but the outcomes are what's focused on, and that these earn and learn programs and apprenticeships, which could be tremendous and are growing across the country, have and provide more opportunities for people from what every kind of community. And so we're seeing a lot of this now, and we've really seen this build over the last couple of years, but ultimately we need to do more and we need to work together, but we need to align the federal policy, the federal tax code to make it easier for manufacturers to defray the cost of these programs. We need to incentivize investments in the community and technical schools. We need to make sure that it's actually operating and the investments go to where we need it. And we need to see more government investment in education and upskilling. You know, government's a partner in this, but they're not the only player. And so where they're in 
investment goes needs to go to where it's needed, right? It can't. It has to go towards jobs, towards sectors where are there and the jobs are ready. And um, you know, there's a huge, huge case for the economic competitiveness of the country. We cannot let the U.S. fall behind other countries that are investing in the next generation of workers. And as a, as we found in our last Deloitte study, the 2.1 million jobs that they go unfilled by 2030, that's a trillion dollars of lost GDP potentially to the U.S. economy. We can't afford to do that. We've got to come together and address this together. I'm remembering something Jay Timmons, the president and CEO of the NAM, said when he came on the podcast that eventually we'll look back and see that the pandemic actually strengthened U.S. manufacturing. You know, at the beginning of the last decade, coming out of a recession, some wondered if U.S. manufacturing would survive. It's now clear it is a part of our future, part of the backbone of our economy and a career for millions of workers. Will we really end up with more than 2 million open jobs in manufacturing? Or are we at the beginning of a new decade of action that will bring the next generation workforce? You know, I think um, you're exactly right, right? Going into the pandemic, all bets were off. I think no, it was impossible to forecast what would come out. But one I hate to say bright side of silver lining of the horrible year we've all been through is that I think never before in a modern generation has manufacturing been more uh, acute, have people been more acutely aware of the importance of manufacturing from the biopharma, from the vaccines, the therapeutics, the PPE, the toilet paper discussion from last March, you know, and all the products we needed to get through and all the technology we use. Manufacturing is front and center. So I do think we're on the right track. We've identified the problem. We're working day and night to spread awareness that manufacturing is a career that's that's not only important, but rewarding and well-paid and with much opportunity. And so I think the industry is really acutely aware and policymakers are recognizing the need to do more. And so our most important mission in our minds is changing the perception. If we change the perception and make this the industry to come to, then, and we're showing young people that manufacturing is not what it was in their grandparents or great-grandparents' years when they worked on the factory floor, the industry is going to be able to attract those people in. And we're at the same time, we need to be nimble. We need to, we need to recognize that the next generation of workers will have totally different work expectations and career expectations than the baby boomers. And, you know, so as, as we're looking at the baby boomers retiring, as we're looking at the new kind of future of work, we need to look at all the opportunities of those, you know, in internships and reverse mentorships. And we need to make sure that we're talking about and, and really um, opening the door and bringing people in to make sure they see what modern manufacturing looks like, that they, they can't even imagine what you'd see when you walk inside of a Siemens facility or any of the other manufacturing facilities. You know, they would be shocked to see and surprise happily the high-tech factories of the future that we're operating today. So we're going to generate this kind of excitement and build those, fill those jobs, we need to talk about it and inspire people. Then we need to get them educated and empower them as well. And that is why all of our work is focused on these areas. And then once we get them hooked, we need to keep them and help them uh, stay in the industry. And that's what we're working to do through our Creators Wanted campaign. And if you want to learn more about it, you can find more information, of course, at creatorswanted.org. Carolyn, I, with so many of the leaders I get the chance to speak to who have this bold, optimistic outlook, they couple that with a real commitment to action. And this, 
this commitment that you've demonstrated, the initiatives you and your team at the Manufacturing Institute are leading really are ushering in a new era. And what I'd love to end with is your vision of uh, when, when you're successful with the uh, initiatives you have underway now, introducing new technology, bringing new talent into the workforce, paint a picture for what that does for us. How does this positively impact our future? What a great question. You know, high tech, right? We The vision of the future is high tech jobs, great pay, benefits, opportunities for people, regardless of their educational level, from high school graduates to advanced STEM. I often say it can be eight weeks or eight years. We need people with all those kinds of skill sets. And, you know, what I also think is really important is that manufacturing can in the future do what has done for generations here in the U.S., which is help people find their own way of life, right? And support a family supporting way of life. And that is like the why, right? Not only do you get to create amazing things and innovate and work on great teams and have an impact and be productive, you know, but you also get to have all those rewards from a rewarding job and bring that into your own life. So right now the workforce crisis is one of our biggest challenges. And if we overcome it, truly the sky's sky's the limit for manufacturing in America. And I think that your podcast in 2025 will be looking back at this moment as the catalyst for the transformational change in manufacturing that we all know is just right there in front of us. And with the right investments and the right education and with a sustained and coordinated effort to show young people that modern manufacturing is an exciting and and, amazing industry, manufacturers in the U.S. will prove that we can out innovate and outcompete just about anybody. Carolyn, I love your vision. And I've got some grandchildren who need to have a little look-see and and get ready for their own careers of the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good to see you. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I want to offer just one final thought. Carolyn mentioned that there are more than 2 million positions that could go unfilled in manufacturing by 2030 if we don't change our approach to talent recruitment and workforce development. It blew me away to think about one baby boomer retiring every eight seconds. It reminded me of a similar statistic I recently saw, that as a result of the pandemic and accelerating digital transformation, nearly 17 million U.S. workers will need to find new occupations by 2030. So yes, manufacturers do need to find ways to attract people at the beginning of their careers, but what about people at all other stages of their careers? We recently heard Congresswoman Blunt Rochester on this show call the pandemic the great reassessment. Many people want to do a different job than they're doing right now, or they're looking to enter into a higher paying industry with room for advancement. Someone might want to re-enter the workforce. Someone with a high school diploma might not realize that they qualify for entry-level manufacturing jobs that can be the start of a great career. Someone with more work experience might not realize that gaining a post-secondary certificate could help them begin a mid-level manufacturing career and grow from there. So employers, educators, leaders in government and philanthropy, let's work together to create conditions in which anyone with curiosity and initiative can thrive. I hope you'll now go to our show notes. We'll direct you to the workforce report by the Manufacturing Institute and Deloitte, We have more resources about how Siemens and the Siemens Foundation are helping to build the next generation workforce and a campaign we just launched called Where the Jobs Are. 
where you can learn more about the more than 2,000 open positions we have at Siemens USA. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com slash optimist.